You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. So my sister and I waited an hour in line. We were behind a tour group from Germany, and today, the day of this story, we're in Florence, Italy, where the hard edges of the German language cut against the soft tones of Italian sunlight illuminating brick buildings. And we're distracted by this gypsy family that's working its way up and down the line, even at this early hour, looking for money. We're saying to ourselves that this museum had better be worth leaving the pension before breakfast, enduring German language and gypsies and rumbling stomachs. No offense to those of you who speak the German language, but it's a lot that early in the morning. <laughs> and finally, the line begins moving. See, a limited number of people are allowed in at a time to the academia. People enter silently down a long corridor, and images appear. Human forms emerging from blocks of granite, half-formed, straining to be freed from the stone that encases them. Michelangelo named them the prisoners. And then suddenly, the sculpture that we have stood in line for, that we have seen in books, on postcards, on the web, on refrigerator magnets, appears, naturally lit from above by a skylight, towering over the prisoners in their darkness. Unbelievable. And I sit down, entirely overwhelmed by the sight of the David. This masterpiece, this sculpture, was like nothing I'd ever imagined. No one spoke in a voice louder than a whisper. And I'll tell you honestly that I cried at the sight of it. I had no idea. I had no concept of the power and the beauty. No desire to move or leave the space that it commanded. And this is merely stone. God knelt in the clay of the earth formed humanity, the power and the beauty, filled our lungs with wind, with spirit, living souls. See, from the very first intimate moments in the Garden of Eden to the final amazing visions of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that Joyful Sound sang about this morning, God is first and last an artist shaping and transforming, envisioning new life and power and beauty and grace beyond our best imaginings. That is the goal of spiritual formation. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And you know what I imagine? I imagine the, the prisoners at night in the academia that's in Florence. When the doors are locked and silence and darkness descend, I imagine their silent longings encased in stone. And then I imagine them ever so slightly turning themselves to face the David standing there bathed in moonlight and wondering, how did he break free? When will we be complete? When will the hand that formed the David 
return to release me. Most of us live like prisoners, straining to be free, fully aware that we are unformed and unfinished, longing to live into glory. And I imagine us looking down the corridor and wondering, how do I get there? Because this longing deep in the human soul for release, for transformation into freedom and beauty and glory, isn't it one of the things that brings us into worship? And this question of how do I get free, when will I be freed, this is the question I want us to bring to Galatians chapter 4 this morning in our text. It's a question of spiritual formation. This deep desire for freedom from the sin that enslaves, from all of the elemental powers and religions in this world that hold us captive. So if you're able, would you please stand and read together from Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. It's on page 947 in these black Bibles in your pew. And we're also going to skip ahead and read verses 19 through 20. So Galatians 4, verse 1. Listen as we read together God's holy word. My point is this. Heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of all the property. But they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. And skipping to verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I were present with you now and could change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, may the words in my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So it was, um, it was many weeks ago that Zach and Kyle approached me and said, hey, we'd like to do this song. Just give me a new law. And as we looked ahead, uh, well, actually, at first I told them, no, I don't want to deal with that. And then, um, <laughs> and then we hit this passage, and it's perfect. Because what Paul is dealing with here is a situation that came up historically in the city of Galatia, in the, in the region, in the province of Galatia. Here's what's happened, just to catch us all up to speed. We're in a, um, well, uh, what's happened in this room is we've been preaching a sermon series in Galatians. And last week, you'll remember that George preached about Abraham. We jumped back to Genesis, looked at the story of Abraham being called by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. And George preached to us about these impossible situations these tensions we find ourselves in in faith, where the command of God 
and, and the circumstances of life just do not seem like they're going to reconcile, but everything stands to be lost. And George reminded us that faith is living in that tension and not escaping it. And we're going to continue that idea as we come back to Galatians now. Because here's what's happened in Galatians and why Paul says he's so perplexed. You have these former pagan worshipers who saw in Jesus Christ freedom from the sin that enslaved them, who gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And then after Paul left, and they were running really well, they were following along in faith really well, these teachers came in. We don't know a lot about them. This is part of what I love about Paul's writings. When we need to know something about those that he's arguing against, he gives us the details. Otherwise, he just just doesn't give it. He only gives us what we need to know. It's great restraint. What we know about them is they're Jewish Christians. We know that they came in and they put a different order to things. What they said was, you start out needing to know the living God. You can come to that living God in Jesus Christ, and then you need to follow the Jewish laws. You're still not a part of Abraham's family. You're not adopted yet. You come to faith in Jesus, and coming to faith in Jesus enables you to now join this family, to join the children, the heirs, the line of Abraham. And this is astonishing to Paul. And so he writes this letter. I mean, it's a, it's a doozy of a letter. And just at the end of chapter three, he would say that himself too, by the way. This is a doozy of a letter. George can give you the Greek for doozy. I'm not going to. Just at the end of chapter three, he's told us, there's no such thing anymore as Jew and Gentile. You're all one in Jesus Christ. And what we're dealing with at the beginning of chapter four is very specific historically. Here's how you can tell. Because he refers to timing twice. Do you see this? In verse 2, he talks about the date set by the Father. And in verse 4, he talks about the fullness of time. What Paul's doing is putting things back in their proper order, and he's saying this. These people have come in and told you, you are not heirs and children until you get into the line of Abraham, and don't let them fool you, because here's the reality. Before the fullness of time, when God took on human flesh and stepped into history, there were two groups of us, Jews and Gentiles. And Gentiles, you were entirely enslaved in your sin. And we had been given the law. We were the chosen people. We had been called by God in order to be freed by sin. And the law was supposed to free us, but it captured us. We were just as captured as you. None of us were free. Because an heir, just like this little baby George over in England, is no better than a slave as long as there's still a child. That kid's got three people in front of him to the throne. It's doing him no good. It's all before Jesus. Do you know, here's what's fascinating to me. Michelangelo, the name of those statues is variously translated either prisoners or slaves. Whichever you translate it, the dynamic is exactly the same. They are encased and they will not be freed of their stone by anything of their own doing. Paul is saying, whatever you call it before Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile, everyone's encased and no one's getting free by their own doing. Whether you're a captive to the law as a guardian or you're a slave to sin as a Gentile who did not know God, you're not going to free yourself. You can't. So in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus. Now I wonder what it is you came in this morning uh, feeling captive to. Because all of us have. Welcome to the human race. This is my definition of what it is to be human. 
You will live a life where the demands are overwhelming and you never have enough resources. That's life. Some of us have come in this week just aware of these sins that we keep falling into over and over. We get angry and we don't mean to. We're drinking and we don't want to be drinking. We're, we're spending money and we're deeply in debt. We're, we're out of control in our sex lives. We're enslaved and we know it and we, just, and we want release and we don't know how to get it. Some of us are walking in here just with so many demands on us and we're insufficient. We know we can't keep it up. We know there's too much and we know that we're failing by it. Some of us have walked in here, and this is the trickiest one and what Paul is hitting, so enslaved and so captured by working so hard to keep it right spiritually, to keep it all together and keep everyone else in line, that if there's supposed to be some kind of joy and freedom in the Christian life, we lost it a long time ago. But every one of us walked in here captive or enslaved by something. Which fear, which sin, which demand Which expectation has had you this week? Think about it. And then we listen to verse four. And here's the core of the good news in this verse. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, that's Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as children. Skipping to verse seven. So you're no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. So that word redeemed, I want you to think about it as released. Think about those prisoners who need to be released. That's what it is to redeem those prisoners. Release them from the stone into the greatness. Michelangelo talked about his art that way. He said he didn't didn't shape these sculptures. The way he described it is they were already in the stone and he was releasing them. He was freeing them in his masterpieces. This is what Jesus has come to do. And here's the wonder and the glory of it. You know, we come in here to worship, to turn our heads as the prisoners and the slaves, to see Jesus, to look to God, to seek freedom. And what Paul says is what God has done is stepped off of that pedestal of perfection And it's a good pedestal and God is worthy of being praised in all of God's holiness and grace and truth and beauty and power and might. And he stepped down and become encased. So don't turn and look at the pedestal. Turn and look at Jesus who's still, who's encased at the fullness of time in the very stone that you find yourself in. Born under a woman, that means born in sinful human flesh. Born under the law. That means encased in this very law that these teachers are telling you, you now have to take up. Now, I'll tell you something personally, getting this sermon ready. I really like preaching things like Romans that talk about how we're all slaves to sin and we need to be released, right? That's cool. Uh, It's a great sermon. That's not what I was given. When I'm giving us Galatians that talk about how all of us so easily want to take a new law, and would be much more safe and feel much safer just taking up a new law instead of living by the Holy Spirit. I'm a religious professional. I sell new laws. (laughs) I just do. Life is so much easier. It's just you stay in order, right? It's so much easier to design a program. It's so much easier to give a new law. It's so incredibly threatening to me sometimes the way that Paul talks about the law and release from the law. Because there's this tension 
in Scripture and this tension in Paul between this law that everyone agrees is a revelation of God and is good, and Jesus did not come to throw it out. But in human hands, everyone agrees, becomes a burden on our backs that will destroy us. So I've struggled with this one phrase in the text, this elemental spirits. Did you see it at the end of verse 3? That's a weird little phrase. It's not used very much. There's nothing in the original language that says spirits. The reason, and it's a good translation, the reason it's in there is there's a recognition in the English language translations that nothing is ever just natural. The spiritual is always involved. But what Paul's talking about is the law. Paul is talking about how we were enslaved to the law of the world. Go read Colossians. That's where he uses the same phrase. And let me give you an example of how this works. This word for elemental, it's like the ABCs. It's like building blocks. It's like the periodic table. So Paul's saying this. God gave you, in, God gave us as the Jews in our infancy, the building blocks, the ABCs, the periodic table of living free in the law. And take something, for example, like the Sabbath. It's supposed to be this basic building block we can stand on, this law that says don't work. One day awake, don't work. Give yourself the freedom to fully entrust yourself to this artistic, creative, generous God who made you, who will always provide for you, who does not drive you in slavery like your masters. The Sabbath is supposed to stand under the feet of the Jews as a gift. And what happened by the time Jesus came along is the Sabbath had been put on their backs like a burden they could not bear. And so instead of being a gift and and, and an experience of this freedom of totally entrusting God, it it became just this, this overwhelming, guilty set of rules that you had to keep. So here comes Jesus born under the law. Do you know why they killed him? Do you remember? Go back and read in that Bible. He broke the Sabbath over and over and over again. And he'd done it one time too many. And we're told that they left and decided how to kill him. Because the religious professionals, those encased by the law, could not imagine a God who was Lord of the Sabbath and not enslaved to it. They would rather see people remain sick than get healed and break those laws. Very similar to the song that was just sung. Don't teach me how to live like a free man. Just give me a new law. Don't teach me how to listen to the Spirit. Just give me a new law. My little children, Paul says, for whom I'm again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There's something else. You do not need to live enslaved to sin. I already gave you that message, he says. And now he writes to give them the rest of that gospel, to clarify that gospel. It also means you do not need to live enslaved to this law. Following these laws will not free you. The Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, sent at the right time, born under the law. He's the one who will free you. The only one who will free you. So then my struggle working through this text this week is I went, okay, so Lord, I get that. So why then do I feel like such a captive? You know, at least when I'm sitting there making my lists and and figuring out what I need to change in my own prayer life, what I need to change about what I do in my life and what I need to change in my diet and, and all these other things that I do, I feel like I'm in control again. But what is this middle place? Why is it that when we look around us, it seems that so many people who do not profess faith in Jesus Christ are living with greater freedom than the children of God? 
This is where George's sermon to us last week was such a profound gift. Because what strikes in verse 6, and what we must pay attention to is verse 6, is a reminder that there is a false gospel here in the West, just as there was a false gospel in Galatia. And so many of us have bought into it. And here's how it goes. That the Lord Jesus Christ came to free you to be a fully fulfilled, fully formed human being to the glory of God right now. You just change the timing. So it stops being Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. This false twisting of the gospel becomes Jesus Christ in you, the experience of glory. See, so often what we've done in the West, and we can learn a lot from the persecuted church in the rest of the world, is whenever there's an external tension, whenever there are, there are, we're following what we think we know of who Jesus is, and this tension is just so great and the suffering still remains, whenever that happens, what our instinct is, is we want to turn our heads as the prisoners and just take in Jesus glorified and Jesus raised from the dead. And that's a good thing to take in. What we forget is that's not the picture that Paul showed the Galatians when he had them turn their heads when he first came and preached. Do you remember? Look down. Look down in Galatians 3. Do you remember what it was? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, he writes. Was it not before, I'm not going to find it, was it not before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly displayed as crucified? He did not put Jesus back on a pedestal. Here is the wonder of what verse 6 tells us. Because your children, God has sent the spirit of his son, the crucified, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The God who is on the pedestal, who then went to inhabit stone, went even further and has not stepped back onto the pedestal, but has gone into the hearts of stone of his fellow captives and prisoners to transform us from the inside out in the midst of all the pressures and demands of what it is to be human. Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now I understand, no I don't understand, for a long time I've understood that the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts and that God gives us transformation through the Holy Spirit. But what I just learned this week in this passage is I never looked up before where this little phrase, Abba, Father, is used. Do you realize where else it's used? It's used in Mark 14 when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Abba, Father, if there's any other way, get me out of this. But not my will, yours be done. It's used in one other place, Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption, not freedom. Did you notice this? In this one, the opposite of slavery is adoption. You have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, that's daddy. When we cry, Abba, father, it's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. No matter what the pressures of your life are telling you, no matter what your failures are telling you, you are a child of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, and if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The gospel, the good news, is not Christ in you, the present experience of full glory. The gospel, the good news, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And hope does not disappoint. 
I read an article this week that Russell uh, Brand had written a couple of weeks ago. Caveat here. Frequently, you know, I'll mention somebody like a really foul-mouthed comic like Russell Brand in a sermon, and somebody thinks, I haven't heard of him. I'm going to go listen to him. (laughs) Don't send me an email saying, Pastor, why did you tell me to go listen to Russell Brand? Because I didn't. But he's so funny. At which point, my mother would be saying, so then why do you listen to him? Russell Brand is a former heroin addict. He's a, he's a, a British comic. He's fascinating to me. He's so smart, and he's so messed up, and, and, he's, and, he's, and he's just a beautiful, messed up person. And he wrote in this article about addiction, and he starts it by saying, the last time I thought about taking heroin was yesterday. I had received an inconvenient truth from a beautiful woman, and soon I could no longer see where I ended, and the pain began. That's the suffering we all share. He said, I cannot accurately convey to you the efficiency of heroin in neutralizing pain. He goes on to talk about being 10 years sober. See, here's Russell Brown at that point of pain that all humans share. We share it with everybody. And he has two choices at that point, he says. He can go back into this addiction. There's that enslavement to sin. Now, the other equally enslaving thing would be try to work out the the law, to try to work out the external thing that is going to keep him clean and keep him sober, but he's learned that's going to do him no good. It just won't. A new law isn't going to save him from this pain, and it's not going to save him from what he needs. Because what he writes is, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution. Even as I spin this web, and the web he's talking about is describing to himself how, what it would be like to, to uh, go down and buy some heroin and use it. It's a remarkable description. I'm reaching for my phone. I call someone, not a doctor or a sage, not a mystic or a physician, just a bloke like me, another alcoholic, who I know knows how I feel. The phone rings, and I half hope he'll just let it ring out. It's 4 a.m. in London. He's asleep. He can't hear the phone. He won't pick up. I indicate left, heading to Santa Monica, where the drugs are. The ringing stops... Then the dry-mouthed nocturnal mumble. Hello. You all right, mate? He picked up. And for another day, thank God, I don't have to. He needed a friend. Verse 6. Because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have a friend. We also need fellowship. We also need the community around us, just like Russell Brand. But there's something deep and transforming and abiding and indescribable about the mystery of God's Holy Spirit in your heart. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we have not seen. Now, I wish I could take another 30 minutes and tell you how to live into that. But I'll tell you this. No amount of classes, no amount of courses, no amount of discipleship training, no amount of new membership classes, no amount of small groups, no amount of of reading your Bible, no amount of, of worship is going to transform us from the inside out unless we're willing to say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ who lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So I charge you and encourage you, brothers and sisters, 
We do not worship a God that you only see with your eyes or speak with your mouth or, or, or think about in your heads. We worship the living God who is alive in your hearts. Cry out this week, Abba, Father. Entrust yourself to God day in and day out in the workshop of this world. Because what our world does not need is a whole bunch of really well put together people who never suffer with pain. What our world needs is people who in the midst of their pain and in the midst of feeling trapped somehow radiate the joy and the freedom and the hope of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you know exactly what each one of us walked in here today. You know the fears that pursue us. You know the sins that we are not freed from. You know that we do not have the power to do this. So Lord Jesus Christ, would you please pour into our hearts the capacity to depend on you, the capacity to stop resisting you and to surrender to your goodness and to the power of your Holy Spirit. And then give us that capacity and power to live into the new and free life in the midst of all the demands. It's in your good name that we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.